welcome to Bookasul with me, P.S. Nassim, where I read, review and recommend books from the Desi perspective. As you know, I take up two books in every episode, one newish, one older, and try to connect them. Well, this time the older book which I've taken is probably the oldest in this show so far. Old enough to be on Project Gutenberg, in fact. So I want to start by talking about houses and homes. You know, they are the first thing most kids learn to draw, even the square with a triangular roof on top, the two windows and a door, because the house or the home is after the individual body and the family, probably the house is what we most identify with. It's fundamentally where we belong. And starting from that point, uh, the discussion can go pretty much everywhere because uh, there are stories of all kinds that revolve around houses. You have dynasties that are focused on a house. There are histories of famous houses. There are murder mysteries. There are invasion thrillers. There are haunted houses. There are literary and romance stories, gothic, humorous. Even virtual houses like gharanas of music and you know companies. It goes. It can go anywhere, frankly. I sense that trying to capture everything about houses is like trying to capture the ocean. So let me not try and do that. Instead. Let me introduce the two books I want to talk about today. One is a domestic thriller, which is referencing a ghost story. And another one, strictly not a novel, but a short story, a collection. But the title story of that collection is basically the original Indian haunted house story. The first book of the day is The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. Uh, this was published in hardcover in late 2019 and was planned to be released in paperback in May 2020, but we all know how that's been going. And so it's available on Kindle right now, uh, published by Vintage Digital. And the second is uh, Shodito Pashan, aka Hungry Stones in Bengali, by Rabindranath Tagore, published in 1895, a short story collection, uh, available today on Project Gutenberg. The version I read is the one translated by C.F. Andrews. By the way, forgive my atrocious Bengali accent and any mispronunciations I make. But let's start with the first book, The Turn of the Key, uh, written by Ruth Ware. It's probably helpful to think of the context that uh, Ruth Ware comes from. She's kind of a modern spiritual successor to Agatha Christie, in my opinion. And this is her fifth book. And uh, in her previous books, she's kind of channeled Agatha Christie in several ways in terms of, let's say, the closed venues where the murder takes place, the limited number of suspects who are pretending to be normal people, the family with the history behind it, the sheer atmosphere that Christie used to bring in. Some of that comes through in Ruth's books. But in other ways, uh, she's very modern. So her heroines, for example, are amateurs. And uh, modern technology is used everywhere, mobile phones and, you know, the criminals are different. The motives and mechanisms are all very new. And she's updated her work to the society as it has changed around us. I've been reading her books and following her work very closely and have always enjoyed her work. Uh, I'd highly recommend checking out her other books as well. So The Turn of the Key is her fifth book, as I said. And uh, she seems to now be moving beyond the Christie model. Uh, here, Henry James is clearly the model with his uh, novella, The Turn of the Screw. There is also a similarity in terms of style. Let's not call it similarity. Homage is probably the word because Ware knows what she's doing. Uh, 
Let me read out a bit from a few pages in from the book to give you a sense. I started writing to you last night, Mr. Rexon, and when I woke up this morning and looked at the crumpled pages covered with my pleading scrawl, my first instinct was to rip them up and start again, just like I had a dozen times before. I had meant to be so cool, calm and collected. I had meant to set out everything so clearly and make you see. And instead, I ended up crying onto the page in a mess of recrimination. But then I reread what I had written and I thought, no, I can't start again. I just have to keep going. All this time, I have been telling myself that if only someone would let me clear my head and get my side of the story straight without interrupting, maybe this whole awful mess would get sorted out. And here I am. This is my chance, right? Now straight away we see the narrative distancing that's already come in. The story is being told in flashback by the narrator writing a letter, which means there's inherently some unreliability in what she is talking about. Now if you have read The Turn of the Screw, the story unfolds in the form of a book or a diary that's written by the original narrator and it's being read out to someone else in a room much later which again means that we can't trust the original writer of the diary and where has followed the same mechanism here. Now the similarity continues in the story and now I'm focusing on the turn of the key where the narrator becomes a nanny to an isolated but a high-tech house in Scotland. She is caring for three kids while the parents are away. And right from the beginning we know that there's something screwy no one is really revealing their entire agenda. The nanny herself has something to hide. The kids seem to not want her to come. And even the parents seem to be in a hurry to get out of the place. And then uh, Ware brings in her own modern touch where this house is equipped with the latest surveillance systems, cameras in each room, smart panels to switch off and on lights, turn on curtains. Which also gives the nanny, you know, the narrator the sense of being watched all the time and makes her more nervous, especially since she's not familiar with technology enough. And to make things worse, uh, she, our narrator starts hearing footsteps above her room in the night when there's literally no space for anyone to be there. At some point, objects seems to move around from their place. Uh, the eldest daughter of the three children uh, is definitely hostile to narrator she doesn't want that nanny there and then the children walk her around and get lost in strange places like a secret garden that turns out to be a poisonous garden in the midst of all this uh, we find that the house has a history and there have been people who have died here before so are the ghosts of those people who died still haunting the place what exactly is going on here and we don't have a clear answer till the very end of the book now, where winds up the suspense as we go? It, it's not a very long book, but it goes by really quickly and we wind up turning the pages faster and faster just to find out what's going on. But remember, um, this is a thriller book. It says it is and knowing the writer, we know it's going to be something not supernatural. And in my personal opinion, that was a little bit of a letdown at the end uh, for things to be resolved so neatly. and. I think I'm being unfair as well because I'm comparing this to one of those great ambiguous books with unreliable narrators and no clear ending and multiple interpretations that seem as 
valid as the other i'm talking of to another screw of course where the nanny could either be crazy or be seeing ghosts and we never know till the end but even if you don't know that older book uh, this newer book the turn of the key is definitely worth reading it's a good fun domestic thriller and there is this pet peeve i've had about uh, professional detectives in today's world you know the model that sherlock holmes created and then later agatha christie herself the man who gets paid and who is a professional at finding out and resolving mysteries i mean where never uses that and here too there is no detective or police inspector who comes in to solve things it is the characters with their interactions among themselves and the natural human motivations and fears that drive along the story and i feel that's much the better way to set up a thriller so yes uh, two thumbs up to this book definitely read it uh, do read the turn of the screw too if you want it's a much shorter book a novella and that was published i believe back in 1897 so that too is out of copyright and easy to acquire there have even been a few movies made from that source but remember that's a ghost story and our present book is a thriller so it winds up in a totally different direction let's take a short break before i move on to our second book of the day welcome back i just realized that a large number of folks who listen to this show seem to listen to it on the anchor website well that's not a bad way to listen to it i actually would highly recommend that you uh, use a podcast player like google podcasts or itunes and then subscribe to it so that you actually get a notification when something is released and you don't have to wait for either my tweet or check back at random times to know um i'd recommend that as a way to like, listen not just to this podcast but all of them and that's all the more true in these times when uh, multiple podcasts that have been launched a few months ago are going under and stopping so everyone of us needs your support and since we are all stuck at home we might as well listen to each other so anyway on to our second book which is kshodito pashan uh, translated as the hungry stones which is a volume of short stories by rabindranath tagore and this was written in 1895 and do you realize what this means it means this story is older than uh, the turn of the screw it's older than dracula it's older than uh, mr james's ghost stories this is really one of the initial ghost stories or haunted house stories that have been written so you could think of this either as uh, you know indian stories indian culture have been around a long time that's one or you could think about the cross pollination between tagore and other writers from europe and america and how they read each other and understood each other and were inspired by each other so anyhow back to the book does uh, rabindranath tagore even need an introduction to my readers if you're an indian you've heard of him you know his song you know the national anthem you know all about his nobel prize oh when i was thinking of an indian counterpart to the turn of the key i was reminded of this story the hungry stone story itself and i didn't realize it was a short story at the time i thought it was a novella but it turns out that this is a collection and uh, this story itself is very well known it's been made into movies multiple times so in bengali there is a version by tapan sinha in hindi there is a very well known lekin by the maestro gulzar also at least a couple of times there have been telefilms that have been created and 
telecasting doordarshan i have seen a couple of those and they are pretty good i wish i could dig them up now but it turns out that uh, shurito pashan the short story isn't even the most popular story in this collection that honor goes to another short story called kabuli wala now all of you who have learned hindi in school have had this story and nearly everyone of us who listens to hindi music knows that one famous song from the movie that was made of the short story the hemant kumar song and so on and so forth so in one way or the other this short story collection has affected us we have heard of it and we have been influenced by it one way or the other so let's get back to the first story the title story the hungry stones it's it's not too long it's about 10 pages long actually and it starts off with a couple of passengers on a train listening to a story from another passenger who never reveals his name but he tells the story of a person named shrijut who is sent to a remote village to collect taxes and already you see that the narrative distancing is kicking in similar to the other two books we discussed today because there is someone telling a story you already can't believe him but never mind that let's hear the beginning of this inner story the it which starts about a couple of paragraphs in from the main story owing to a disagreement about some questions of administrative policy i threw up my post at junagadh and entered the service of the nizam of hydria they appointed me at once as a strong young man collector of cotton duties at barich barich is a lovely place the susta chatters over stony ways and babbles on the pebbles tripping like a skillful dancing girl in through the woods below the lonely hills a flight of 150 steps rises from the river and above that flight on the river's brim and at the foot of the hills there stands a solitary marble palace around it there is no habitation of man the village and the cotton mart of barish being far off around 250 years ago the emperor mahmud shah ii had built this lonely palace for his pleasure and luxury in his days jets of rose water spurted from its fountains and on the cold marble floors of its spray cooled rooms young persian damsels would sit their hair disheveled before bathing and splashing the soft naked feet in the clear water of the reservoirs would sing to the tune of the guitar the gazelles of their vineyards the fountains play no longer the songs have ceased no longer do snow white feet step gracefully on the snowy marble it is but the vast and solitary quarters of cess collectors like us men oppressed with solitude and deprived of the society of women now karim khan the old clerk of my office warned me repeatedly not to take up my abode there pass the day there if you like said he but never stay the night i passed it off with a light laugh the servants said that they would work till dark and go away at night i gave my ready assent the house had such a bad name that even thieves would not venture near it after dark you hear how that sounds right it, it sounds like a story from emma james or charles dickens or one of these older english writers of course this story was written in bengali 
and was translated into English. Even so, the writing style is very similar except for uh, the repeated Indian references of Ghazals and Persian women and the Mahmud Shah and of course the villages and the, the river's name. Note also how quickly the atmosphere of the place is built up. Well, of course, this is a short story, so he won't spend a long time building it up. What happens next after this is our hero who stays against everyone's advice in this old mansion, starts hearing voices in the night and imagines that he is back in the old world of the Mughals and that he sees a princess who is in the palace and beckoning to him. And uh, her world is a lot more colorful and interesting than his own. So slowly over time, he keeps getting pulled into her world until at some point the spell breaks. And uh, well, since it's a very old story, so yes, he manages to escape, but at a big cost to himself. As I said, it's a short story and it's quite gripping. It moves really well and I loved the descriptions. I wish I could read it and understand it in the original Bangla. It would probably be even better. Some of the influences of the scenery of the princess and so on, uh, they're not quite Mughal, they feel more Arabic. And I would imagine that there's some impact of, uh, so this was 1895, right? Uh, 10-15 years ago, uh, Richard Burton's A Thousand and One Nights had been translated, has been written rather. And released so I would imagine books of that nature and that style were very popular and uh, Tagore probably drift off that when he wrote this one story there was also Bengal's you know intimate knowledge of the Mughal Empire at the time what's interesting to me is that uh, this isn't even his first or only ghost story I mean we identified Tagore with being a humanitarian a poet a sage but this one story and apparently there are at least three or four more as Wikipedia tells me. None of those are in this collection though. Uh, here the rest are more or less social works. Like for example the work called Living or Dead in which there is a widow who is presumed dead and suddenly finds herself feeling freedom from all the social restrictions because no one knows her now. Or there is another one called Kingdom of Cards which is a fable about an orderly society of playing cards, which is disturbed by the arrival of an outsider, kind of reminiscent of Alice in Wonderland. Then uh, there is also a revenge story of sort uh, called Renunciation, in which a man whose daughter was hurt by a family plots his revenge and the story unfolds as a flashback, so to speak. They are still kind of simplistic in today's norms, but remember these are 130 plus years old. And some of the points they make about Indian society are still very valid and the stories that touch your heart like Kabuliwala and so on definitely hold up. But to come back again to Hungry Stones, uh, one interesting thing you notice about this story is that uh, although there are ghosts and although it is a haunting and in every respect this should be a horror sort of story, it, it isn't exactly. It's more a kind of, you know, the attraction of the golden past, uh, longing for some kind of bygone better era where Mughals and riches and beautiful girls and so on. And uh, there is a kind of melancholy feel to the ghosts as opposed to the, you know, in your face, scary, murderous ghosts that most Western literature and movies and in fact most of modern uh, ghost related literature kind of gives them. 
So if you're really in a literature studying mode, you could take the story as an allegory and uh, think of it as a longing for the past instead of a real ghost story. I for one enjoy the feeling of the story itself and you know, if Gulzar is going to make a ghost story out of this, yeah, I'm on board with that interpretation. I'm not going to read out any more of this story. It's short enough as it is. It's there on Project Gutenberg. It's available for you from your computer anytime you want it. So go ahead and read it. And if you enjoy it, read the other stories in the collection as well. So why do haunted houses and for that matter, domestic thrillers and all these other house related motifs have such a hold upon us? I think it's partly because uh, it's a familiar thing to us, as I said, but also because a house or a home symbolizes shelter and safety for us. And if right there, the place we are, where we are supposed to be safest is where we are in danger or facing the unknown or going through something unexpected, that heightens the impact of the piece and makes us feel connected to what's going on. Uh, this is not probably a new thought. It's been at the core of a lot of haunted house related literature studies before but i'm interested to see how it applies to the newer emerging domestic thriller kind of genre which has i think been created with the likes of gone girl and so on and so forth where you have like a normal seeming household but all kinds of scary things happen under the covers and of course uh, haunted house stories are zillions of them all the way from shirley jackson to uh, Andali Bajid, who was featured in an earlier episode of this podcast. And of course, if you have further recommendations of haunted house stories or domestic thrillers around houses, I am very happy to hear them and talk about them. My Twitter handle is ps underscore nissim and I'm always there to listen. Uh, let me reiterate the books we covered this episode. They were The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. Uh, the hardcover was in late 2019, but today it's available on Kindle as a vintage digital as the publisher and it's priced at 275 rupees. Shodito Pashan and Other Stories by Rabindranath Tagore, published 1985, uh, free on Project Gutenberg. The translation is by C.F. Andrews. I also referenced uh, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, which was published in the 1890s as well and should now be free on most platforms. And with that, thank you for listening. See you again next time. Bye.